I began to talk to God again after not talking to him for four years. Mm. And after my parents didn't come to see me till the next second day, I was in the hospital and they walked in the room. I told them what had happened. My father turned pale as a ghost, didn't say a word, left the room. My mother said, oh, honey, we imagine lots of things when we're unconscious. I said, I wasn't unconscious. I was dead. And it was the most real thing that's ever happened to me. Mm. So I, I just want to jump right in. So as a Jewish woman, what was your childhood and family life like? And, and how did you as a Jewish woman come to put your faith in Jesus? I was a Jewish kid. And as a Jewish kid, uh, I was raised in an Orthodox community. It was a uh, relatively small Orthodox community of about 150 families in Iowa. It was strict Orthodox. We had separation of men and women. Women were upstairs balcony behind a curtain. I loved it. We didn't have we didn't have pews. We had davening benches. Kids got to run all over. Everything was kosher. The ark was in the middle of the room downstairs. Um, I loved the traditions. I loved being Jewish. It was really fun. I loved Simchat Torah. I loved Forum. I loved Pesach. I have loved every single Jewish festival, and I loved being part of that Orthodox community. And it never struck me as odd that the women were upstairs. In fact, I think the women preferred being upstairs in a balcony behind a curtain. Um, but I was raised in a family that was atheist. So here we were belonging to this Orthodox synagogue. And my father was not only an atheist, we were only allowed to discuss God in our home if we were denying his existence. Really? He hated God. And I assume maybe he had some sort of concept of God because he hated him. But he used to say, uh, this was kind of a mantra that was repeated from the time I was a small child and it was repeated daily. There is no God. There is no heaven. There is no hell. Um, you are an accident of science. You are less, your life has less significance than the tiniest, most microscopic speck of dust in the universe. Mm. Um, he, he said, Christians are weak. They need a crutch and they, they fool themselves. So I actually thought Christianity was an entirely different religion and they worshiped an idol that Christians worshiped a statue. And I, I had no concept of Christianity. I had been to a church once. I, I was in second grade and I spent Easter with a friend and she took me to church the next day. And I remember the pastor preaching about Jews being Christ killers. Now, I didn't know what Christ was, but I was really scared people would find out I was Jewish. Yeah. Tell me. Um but well, we lived in this town where, yeah, sure, there were 150 Jewish families, which gradually dwindled until there was just mostly our extended family. Um, but it was probably 99% Christian, maybe more. And so all my friends were non-Jews. And um, I, but I did love being Jewish, except that I had this weird dichotomy. I had this this weird separation that I was dealing with from the time I was a very small child. I believed in God. I don't know why I believed in God. I believed in God, the God of Abraham, always. And my dad did not. My mom did not. My mom, I say in my hospice book, my mom set a mean Passover table, but she had no concept of God, and she could not discuss religion if her life depended upon it. And yet I prayed. She actually called me her little nun. I prayed to God every <laughs> single night. 
I talk to God every single night. But we, our family situation was very challenging. I know you said there was love in your family. You had a nice home. You had, I had a warm coat in the winter. We had plenty of food. But, but our family situation was very challenging. We, I didn't grow up in a normal, healthy family with healthy relationships. And when I was 12, after our synagogue lost its second to the last rabbi, my father, who was president of the congregation, hired a new rabbi who happened to be a pedophile who happened to abuse me and uh, for a year during my bat mitzvah study. And because this was an Orthodox synagogue, we had had to apply to a Beit Dean in New York to get permission to have a bat mitzvah as opposed to a bar mitzvah because the only boy remaining in the congregation was my younger cousin. So this was a, a really difficult year for me, which kind of set off this spiral of not talking to God, getting into drugs, getting into a really difficult, dangerous situations until I was 15. When I was 15, my life was pretty bad. And I reached a point where um, December of my 15th year, I actually prayed to God I hadn't talked to God in four years or three years. I prayed to God that he would kill me. I prayed for death. You know how you, we say the Shema? Mm -hmm. I prayed with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my spirit, with all my power, that I would die, that God would, would kill me. He didn't kill me then. He killed me three months later. <laughs> so, you know, be careful what you pray for because you might just get it. He... um. I was in a, a really severe horseback riding accident. And my husband, who's a physician, was listening to my story. And he actually knows about it because he's known me since I was 14. But he said, I, I never listened to that part before where you said the horse fell across your chest. Really? He said, I think you suffered commotio cordis, I think, or it was the horse stopped my heart, basically. It's like getting hit with a line drive in your chest. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm going to stop for a second, pull myself together, and I can tell you the story of my death, which is actually quite interesting. Sorry. <laughs> no, this is great. Um, okay. All right. Um, I had always loved horses. And when I was uh, 14, my dad took a horse in trade. From He did some legal work for someone. It, the guy happened to own a ranch, and he owned a boarding stable. So he, instead of paying my dad, he traded him a horse. Now, all I had was the horse and a hackmore, which is kind of like a bit, kind of like a bridle. Mm -hmm. I loved my horse. She was young. She was fast. I have always loved horses. I'd been to horseback riding camp every summer since I was eight. Mm. I loved horses. So... I had I had now had my license. I was 16 years old. This was several months after I had prayed for death. My life was still pretty miserable other than riding my horse. And I took my sisters out to the ranch in our big Oldsmobile, green Oldsmobile Delta 88. And um, I was riding alone that day. I had a friend who had a horse also, but she couldn't come that day. She had a cold. So I was just riding by myself. It didn't really matter to me. Um, when I left the barn, this husband and wife had been fighting over an Arabian mare 
the woman had a white Arabian mare, and it was really difficult to control. The husband wanted to ride it. She said, no, they were having an argument. I just left anyway. I figured it's not my business. I will head out on the trails. So when I left, my 11-year-old sister was playing with the mini horses, and my um, 14-year-old sister was in the car. She's allergic to horses. She was sitting in the car reading. And uh, I took off, went out into the hills on Heather bareback. I was gone for about an hour. And when I, I thought, oh, my sisters are probably getting bored. I should go back. So when I came back, and this was, it was late April. I think it was around Shavuot. I'm pretty sure it was around Shavuot. I know it was after Easter. Okay. When I came, when I came back, I didn't want to get off the horse yet. So I, I moved off the trail onto this side trail and just, I was sitting there. I was sitting there just enjoying the day. I had a nice view in all directions and I was uh, very relaxed, just enjoying the day when I suddenly heard hoofbeats and I knew exactly what that meant. That meant that man had won the argument. He had taken out the Arab, the Arabian and um, she, she was out of control. Mm. So I had nowhere to go. I was kind of backed into a corner. I had no way off this trail where I was. And I thought, all right, I'm out of the way. The horse will run back to the barn because that's generally what horses do. But she came around the corner, just came flying around the corner. He, he dropped the reins, holding on to the saddle horn for dear life. And instead of heading down to the barn, she came towards me, down this trail towards me. And I thought, what do I do? Should I get off? I, I thought, okay, she'll see my horse standing here. She'll stop. But she didn't stop. And um, I didn't want to get off. My first thought was, if I get off, I'm going to get trampled. I had nowhere to go. I was going to get trampled. And I thought, okay, Heather will stay. She'll control her. She'll stay under control. But I couldn't keep her under control. And she began dancing around in this narrow area. And um, the horse just ran right by us, kind of almost clipped us, may have clipped us. I actually wasn't looking back and ran past and Heather reared up. The first time she reared up, I dropped the reins and grabbed her mane. And I just basically put my arms around her neck. Second time she reared up, her back feet stepped off the trail and she flipped over backwards mm. onto me. She fell across my body um, fracturing my pelvis, breaking my back. Neither of those were fatal injuries. They were bad, but they weren't fatal. And falling across my chest, crushing my chest. The moment she hit my chest, I left my body. And I found myself up in the air, looking down. 30, 40 feet up in the air. I was still me. I watched my horse roll over my dead body. And I was tossed like a rag doll. I didn't care. My body meant nothing to me. Nothing. I knew I was dead. I saw, I could see everything in front of me. And I should not have been able to see anything, but I could see everything. I saw my little sister scream and, and cover her eyes with her hands. I saw my sister in the car with her face pressed against the window. I could see the Arabian running to the barn with the man flapping on her back. I saw my horse roll over, right herself, which actually relieved me because I was afraid she would be hurt, and run, slide down the, down the hill and run to the barn. And I could see in the barn. The barn door faced away from me. I shouldn't have been able to see in the barn, but I could see the commotion in the barn. 
as all this was happening. And the one thing I thought, and I, I guess I said it or thought it aloud, because when you're dead, you're not really speaking, but your thoughts, you can hear your thoughts. Your thoughts are basically aloud. They're said aloud. And I said, I wish my sisters didn't have to see me die. That was my one regret. And when I said that, I saw a light over my shoulder. It was shining over my right shoulder. And I wondered how I hadn't seen it before, but it was this golden light. It was bathing everything, everything in front of me. It was bathing everything in this golden light. It wasn't the sun. I knew it wasn't the sun. And I turned to look. So I turned to look over my right shoulder and there was a man up there with me. And I knew him. And he came closer until he was right next to me. And he had this big grin on his face. And I said, hi, I know you. And it was Jesus. Now, he didn't say, I always tell people there's, he's not like, I'm Jesus. Hear me roar. He was just Jesus. It was just Jesus. I knew him immediately. Every soul, every cell in my soul, everything about me knew exactly who he was. I should not have the seen Jesus. Why should I see Jesus? I'm Jewish. My father told me Jesus was the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on mankind. That's what he told me constantly. And yet there was Jesus. And all I could think about was I knew him. I had known him my entire life. Mm. And I loved him. I loved him with everything in me. I didn't want to look away from his face. I, I mean, everything else became peripheral. All there was for me was Jesus and his Jesus face. That's it. That's all I cared about. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of, I don't have the right words to describe this. And I can't tell you everything because I can't remember every single thing we said. But all I know is he is funny. He is joy. He is love. He is everything good in the universe in one person mm. he's everything that is good and joyous and happy and life-giving is in him and he um showed me a lot i had a life review within his presence he he and you saw your life i did yeah all at once it wasn't like he it wasn't like it went you know frame by frame uh, step by step by step it was all at once and i was 16 and you know, let's, let's, I was 16 and I knew about the Ten Commandments and other than lying to my parents to get out of the house, to sneak out of the house, I hadn't done any, I hadn't broken any of the Ten Commandments. I hadn't murdered anybody. I didn't covet anyone's goods. I was a nice kid. And, um, but I still had a life review and he could, it was like watching this tape of your life, except it was 3D and it was alive and you were re-experiencing everything you had done and i saw him from the time i was in my mother's womb mm. forming i saw him sitting next to me when i was an infant talking to me i saw him at every stage of my life he was always there which is kind of weird to be having jesus right next to you showing you your life and you're watching your life and you're watching your life and your life with jesus <laughs> right and i realized when i had been praying and i had been talking to God when I was a little kid, I was talking to him. It was he who was sitting at the side of my bed. 
listening to me. So he did, there were a couple times he stopped the tape. Once we, he stopped the tape because there was a really funny scene and we were both cracking up about it. But there was another time he stopped the tape of my life to show me when I had hurt someone. Mm-hmm. And um, it was so, to me, so unimportant at the time. But it was really important to him. There was, my father was driving me to Hebrew school when I was 10 years old, and he'd picked up a 13 year old boy, take him as well. And I was very tall for my age, and this, this young man was really small for his age. And I just looked at him and sitting in the backseat of the car, and I said, Why are you so shrimpy? And that was such a mean thing to say. And I'm not generally a mean kid. And I felt his heart shrink in his chest. I felt the impact my words had on him. So everything I did or said to someone else, if it was a good thing, I felt that. If it was a not so good thing, I felt that. You know, I'm, I'm sorry to interject, but you know when they say the sticks and stones, they break our bones, but names, names will never hurt me. They hurt so much. Names Those names hurt. hurt even more than sticks and stones, I'm telling you. they la- And it la- and the wounds last for, for a lifetime. Yes, absolutely. And that's what he was showing me. Mm. And I knew I didn't want to do that again. Now, does that mean I've been spent the rest of my life being perfect? No, I'm not perfect. Believe me, I'm not perfect. I have three children. I'm not perfect. You're the same. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, but I realized what he wanted to show me was everything you do, it, it doesn't go away. It comes, you're going to take it with you. Mm. Um you're if you do good if you do good it 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 lasts forever but if you do bad that lasts forever too you know you you have to think about what you're doing here on this planet in this life you have to be aware of that god is watching this is it we're not here in a real way sin is real you know it's not it's not a it's not a it's not a um a societal concoction, you know. I, sometimes I'm on I'm on the streets talking to people. I love I love talking to people, and so I go on the streets and I interview them, and we have these really wonderful discussions. And sometimes I ask, you know, you know, what is sin to you? And they'll say it's a societal construction, just to con- to, to okay. control to control us, you know, yeah. to make us to make us to believe that it what we're doing, behave. right? Yeah. Exactly. And uh, no, it's real. Um, it, sin is real, and it and it destroys lives. I didn't have a concept of sin Neither before I. I died. Yeah. yeah. I, I did not have a concept of sin because to me, sin was murder. That's a sin. But at the same time, I didn't think I'd anybody, I didn't have hope that anyone would be paid for that murder because my dad said, there's no heaven, there's no hell. Mm-hmm. So it's just what you get in this life. You get one go around, that's it, you're done. You know, so basically everything's relative. Yeah. Nothing really matters. Right. And he he did say you should be good for goodness sake. So yeah, but and and I don't I certainly wouldn't want someone to say well okay so I'm gonna be good just to buy my way into heaven. That's not how it works either. Right. Although it's better to be good than bad. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I really learned I understood every little thing matters. He's God is paying attention to every single little thing we do. Even though, though I was only 16 years old, I wasn't excused. I didn't get an excuse. I didn't get a, a note to the teacher saying, please excuse Heidi. She has a dentist appointment. Right. You know, I, <laughs> that's just not how it works. But 
after this, after the life review, I was still dead. Believe me, I was not paying attention to anything happening below us because all I cared about was Jesus. He was the, he was the only real thing to me. Um, he took my hand and we left. And it, I always say it was like playing and it wasn't like playing. If you know that scene from the original Superman, Superman and Lois Lane when they're yep. flying. Okay, that's what we did. But we were surfing on a wave of light. It was, and he said, he said to me, this is so cool. And I was like, yeah, this is so cool. We are surfing on a wave of light and it's all colors underneath our feet. I did look down at our feet because I could feel it. He had bare feet. I had bare feet. So I know that. But, um, and I, I mean, we're, he's kind of wearing this row. I know what he was wearing. I wasn't really paying attention to what I was wearing. But we were holding hands. I had my left arm stretched out. And we laughed and chatted and talked about everything as we're surfing. It was, it was the most incredible experience. You know, up until then, riding a horse, really galloping a horse across an open field was my heaven. Yeah. This was heaven. This was the most fun thing in the entire universe to do this with Jesus. And we were going faster and faster. And I like speed. And, uh, you know, I think he, he kind of, I've talked to, I, I've since met other people who had near-death experiences. And I think Jesus tailors our experience to what we need and what everyone's experience is a little different. Right. A lot of people go through a tunnel or, you know, something and they come out and they see a light at the end. I, I, I had no tunnel. There was no tunnel. This was incredible surfing. If, if I could say surfing through the universe, I would say we surfed through the universe. Mm -hmm. And we approached what I can only describe as a threshold. And you have to keep in mind, I'm trying to describe these things in English that, that are very difficult to describe. So a threshold is the only way I can, it's the only image I can come up with where we approached a threshold and we, we were going so fast that everything became one thing. Jesus and I were still separate and he was holding my hand. But I saw that every, that everything became one thing. That one thing was God. He was in us. We were in him. God was everywhere. There was no place in this universe where there is not God, the Father. No place. And as we crossed that threshold, um, I was... There was a light. I was in a light. Uh, so I'll try to get this, describe this. And it's so hard. This was a perfect, white, blemishless light. And it took up my entire field of vision. It was infinite in its scope. And it was alive. The light was love. And this was God. This was God. Jesus took me into that light. The next thing I knew, I found myself sitting on God's lap. Now, I cannot explain the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I can't. I'm not a theologian. All I know is that in my life since this happened, I have known Jesus, I have known God, the Father, and I have heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. All I can tell you, I can't. Don't ask me to give an explanation. I can't. But I found myself sitting on God's lap. And he is a big God. And I'm like a little toddler 
sitting on his lap, kicking my feet. And I have my arms around him. He's got his arms around me. I've got my face buried in his chest. And um, I couldn't see his face. I, I kind of tried and his face was obscured. I did not see it. All I can say is I have never felt so loved, so cherished. God was every single molecule of love in the universe is God. Mm. He's, he's got love. Mm -hmm. And I could have sat there forever. If you, I think if anyone would have asked me, would you like to sit on God's lap for all eternity? I would have said, yes, thank you. I'll just sit here for all eternity. That's where he wanted to be. But God wanted to show me something. And I, how God speaks, I don't know, but I knew he wanted to show me something. So you have this infinite God. The only way I can describe it is this. Picture an infinite-sized God wearing an infinite-sized white robe. The, the robe extends infinitely in all directions. It covers everything. There's nothing left but God. So I lifted my head. And I looked in the direction he indicated I should look. And I it's almost as if in order to show me this, he had to remove a portion of himself. Mm -hmm. He had to withdraw a portion of himself. And the first thing I saw, and you have to keep in mind, which I forgot to mention, I was very blind on earth. I used to have really thick glasses. I I could barely I can read like this. Mm. I, I since have since had LASIK. Yeah, I have to read like uh, this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I had to read like this. So I'm looking infinitely far away, and I can see perfectly. The first thing I saw, which will stick with me until the day I die and after, was grass. It was this beautiful green grass. Every I could see every blade of this grass in this infinite-sized meadow. Every single blade was so perfect and so precise. And the green was the green. It's like the green here, but it's the, the real green. The green here, all the colors here are a reflection of the colors there. Wow. So I'm looking at this real green. This is a living green. Mm. And I look a little bit farther and I see flowers. And, the, and these flowers, there was one particular patch of flowers that that caught my eye and they look like irises they were this beautiful blue purple and um i could see every part of the flower i could see every vein in the petals i could see every single part of the flower and the the colors again were these are living colors these aren't the colors they're the the same colors here but they're living colors they're the heart of colors they're the essence of color and I looked farther and I saw a grove upon grove of trees. Like, um, think about quaking aspen trees. I could see every tree, every branch, every leaf, and every vein, and every leaf, and every tree. And this is, we're talking an infinite number of trees here. And I could see every vein on every leaf on every tree. Mm. And I realized everything was moving, but it wasn't wind. The grass was singing. The grass was singing the praises of God and the flowers and the trees were moving to the song of the grass. And that was, it was, 
It was God moving through all those things that brought life to them that that they they moved in in God's light. And I, I looked a little farther, I could see a path now and um, figures coming towards me, people. They were singing and their voices were beautiful, but I couldn't make out their faces. I couldn't see anything clearly. It was as if there was still a veil there. Mm-hmm. And um, I couldn't tell. I just saw a number of people coming down this path. And suddenly Jesus was right there. And he said, you didn't die. You have to go back. And I said, nope, I'm not going back. And I put my face back into God's chest. I said, I've gone back. And he pulled my hand and he said, you didn't die. You have to go back. And really, this is hard to resist Jesus. You don't tell him no. You honestly do not tell him no when he says you're going to do something. And I said, I'm not going back. I'm, I'm not going back. And this time he said, you didn't die. You have to go back. And and he just pulled me right off God's lap and God let me go. And I was screaming, no, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I'll feel pain. I knew very well I was going to feel pain. And there was no surfing. There was no wave of light. Just bam, right above my body. And he's there with me. And I and I see my body laying there. I was kind of laying on my side. And I saw Charlie, the ranch owner, next to me, kneeling next to me. He was crying and he was praying. And nobody had done anything. It was just quiet there. Nobody did CPR back then. And um, everyone, everything was silent. And I didn't know how I was going to get back in my body. But Jesus shoved me in. I was like, just kind of just shoved in from underneath, from behind. And I hit the inside of my face. You have to, what you have to picture is your soul gets sucked back into your body and you hit the inside of your skull. And it's like coming up against a brick wall. And I panicked because I was so trapped in my body. My body was not moving. I was struggling inside my body. And suddenly Jesus is in there with me. And he smoothed my arms into my arms. He smoothed my legs into my legs. He made me whole again. And I mean, he he talked to me the whole time he was doing this. I got a lot of messages from him. Um, and after I was whole again, it took me a long time to figure out how to take a breath, how to open an eye, how to talk. And I remember finally taking a breath Oh, cracking open one eye and saying, Charlie. And he just said, thank God, thank God, threw me over my horse, which you don't do. No, you don't move up. Someone with potential spine and neck injuries, yeah. Yes. Rode me down to the car, threw me in the car, drove right past, put my sisters in the car, drove right past the hospital, carried me up to my bed, left me there. Um, I don't know what he told my mom, but she drove him back out to the ranch and my parents left me there for 24 hours before they realized I couldn't walk. I was in shock. Um, my recovery was very lengthy, but um, it's a miracle. I recovered fully. I should not be able to walk. Um, wow. And, but you know, the interesting thing is 
And I told my sister right then, my little sister shared a room with me and she stayed with me after my mother left to take Charlie back. And I told her what had happened. I told her everything that had happened. That was as much talking as I could do at that point. I could not talk. And my mom, even when she got back, she slid a heating pad under my back. I couldn't feel anything. So I didn't realize it was burning me. Oh, wow. And I, I did end up with a third degree burn, which then later became a decubitus ulcer in the hospital. Um, so my recovery was quite lengthy, but I did recover completely. I did not even receive tr the appropriate treatment. Wow. God is the one. God healed me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing is it never occurred to me I wouldn't walk. I All I could think about was Jesus. All I could think about for the first 24 hours was Jesus. All I could think about the whole time I was in the hospital was Jesus. I didn't even, it didn't, it never occurred to me, oh, you're really injured here. You may never walk again. Never even entered my mind. So, um, but I did, I did recover and I knew when I was in the hospital, okay, this is what happened. What do I do with it? Right. So I began to talk to God again after not talking to him for four years. Mm. And after my parents didn't come to see me till the next second day I was in the hospital and they walked in the room, I told them what had happened. My father turned pale as a ghost, didn't say a word, left the room. My mother said, oh, honey, we imagine lots of things when we're unconscious. I said, I wasn't unconscious, I was dead. And it was the most real thing that's ever happened to me. Mm. So she said, she asked me if I wanted to speak to a psychiatrist. I said, that's fine. The psychiatrist came in, I told him the same thing. He left. She asked me if I wanted to talk to the rabbi. We we had now a new rabbi. My parents joined a reformed temple. And this rabbi was well known for his atheism. Right. And he came to talk to me and he patted me on the shoulder and he said, so tell me about this hallucination of yours. And I said, it wasn't a, a hallucination. And I told him everything that happened. And I said, I was dead. And it was the most real thing that's ever happened to me. And he said, oh, it was a, a hallucination. I said, no, it wasn't. So I never, that was the last I saw of him. Um, so this wasn't something I could talk about in my family. Right. And, um, you know, I was in the hospital for a long time. I was recovering at home for a long time. But everything changed. You have to understand something about Jesus. He's not a nag. He doesn't say don't use drugs. Don't drink. You know, don't hang out with those kids. He doesn't, he's not a nag. He didn't say that to me, but I knew exactly what he expected of me when I came back to life. No more drugs. No more hanging out with druggy kids. Focus on school. Um, I made a decision while I was laying in that hospital bed about where my life was going to go. Because I actually never expected to survive beyond my teenage years. They were that bad. And um, I decided I would leave. I, I would accelerate my, my program in high school, graduate a year early and go to Israel. So I did that. I graduated a year early and I left for Israel. I, I, because here was my thinking. I was not going to see Jesus again this side of the grave. So I wanted to walk where he had walked. Mm. I wanted to be where he had been. I wanted to see the places he had seen. 
So I went to Israel and I lived there for a year. I lived on Kibbutz Chavziba, studied in Olpan for six months. Uh, I love the kibbutz. And then, in fact, they asked me to be a member. Mm-hmm. Um, I walked all over the Galilee. I walked all over. I went. Jerusalem is my favorite city in the world. Mm. Um, I even stayed in Bethany in a, in a homestay. I uh, worked in an archaeological excavation in northern Galilee. Mm, wow. I, I just, I went all over Israel. I spent the night in the Garden of Gethsemane. You could do that back then. I slept there. I, well, I didn't sleep. I leaned against one of the oldest olive trees for the entire night, just yeah. thinking about everything that had happened. And, you know, I hadn't read my Bible. I didn't read, I did not read the New Testament until I was in Israel after spending the night in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's the thing. I, yeah. No, you go ahead. No, you did this. It's similar to my story. There's no context before coming to faith. And you come to faith in Jesus. He changes you, resurrects you, makes you into a new person. And then you go read about what happened to you. Yes. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Did you even read our own Bible? I didn't even read our own Bible. No, no. I I had read, you know, I loved the story of Ruth. I'd read the story yep. of Ruth. I'd read the story of Esther. I'd read a little bit of Joshua, um, a little bit of Kings. And I think I read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I skipped over numbers. I skipped over a little bit of Deuteronomy. That was yeah. it. I, and I think I knew a little bit of uh, Jeremiah, maybe. That's it. I, I had never even read our own books. Yeah, same. So I was, I had no context other than what my father taught me, no context. So it wasn't until after, it wasn't until Israel that I began reading, I thought I read the New Testament, which I then realized, wow, this is a totally Jewish book. This is Jewish book from start to finish. I don't even know. And I I thought, if you're Christian, how do you even understand a word they're saying? How would it even make sense? Oh, wow. You need the, the context. You need... The previous context, right? To kind of have it make sense. Um, so then I later went on to read our own scriptures. Um, but you know, it's like I was a kid. I wasn't. I couldn't prove to somebody, "Oh, look, here's this proof text in this psalm, or here's this proof text in Isaiah." I didn't know right. that. I didn't know any of that. I was a complete novice to all of this. Yeah. Um, and in some cases, in some cases, it, it doesn't even matter if you have the proof text. So no, yeah, didn't matter to me. Yeah, I knew what I saw, and I, Jesus has always been. First of all, look, let's we have kids. My kids are real. You know that probably the closest thing you get to God as a woman, besides meeting Jesus, is having kids. It's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. My kids are real. My husband's real. My dog's real. My house is real. None of it, all of it matters. None of it matters. You know, I don't worry. I used to be anxious and worried and I had all kinds of issues, all kinds of things going on. Yes. So yeah, the question I have for you is, um, why, if, if, if someone hears this, they might think, wow, I want to die too. Don't, don't. Right. That's the thing. What is it about Jesus that we have to know in order to in in order to have that connection with God and and real eternal life after death? 
we're here for a reason. Mm -hmm. I love this life. I came back loving life. Mm -hmm. I came back filled with love right. for this world, filled with love for the people of this world. And I was a loner before. I'm yeah. still kind of loner. I'm, yeah. If you leave me on my own, I will. that's what I will be. <laughs> but we are community. God puts us here to be in relationship. Mm -hmm. God puts us here to learn to love and care for our fellow human beings. God he gave us a bridge, you know? Yeah. He gave us a bridge, which I didn't even know we needed a bridge. Right. I didn't know we needed a bridge. Right. Jesus is that bridge. So you don't want to die without knowing Jesus. I would say I wouldn't I wouldn't want to. I will not speak for anyone else. Yeah. I, I that's one thing I've learned. I will not speak for anyone else. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to. Yeah. He is the most important person in my life. And he's a real person. Yeah. Um if you look at him as as human and divine, then I am going to say that he just like the colors in heaven epitomize color, just like mm -hmm. they're the heart of color, he's the heart of a human being. Mm -hmm. He is the most human human being in the universe. Wow. I wouldn't want to die without knowing him. But I also have... Jesus, like I said, he, he didn't nag me. He didn't tell me what I had to do. I had a choice. I had a choice. I could, I could have chosen to look away. I could have chosen not to follow him. He didn't make me do anything. This was my choice. Yeah. So if you make somebody do something, it's not real. Yeah. Yep. So that reinforces the, the free will that, that we know that he gives us to choose or, or, or not to choose him. God wants us. Yeah. He, as my husband said, God certainly is a needy God. He needs our, well, he wants our love. Right. He does. He does not want to lose anybody. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. It was riveting. I mean, I, I, I didn't want to say anything. You know, I was like, it's <laughs> just like watching a, a movie, you know, and um, you're working on a new book. Um, and, um, you know, whenever that comes out, let me know. We can add that to the um, to the description and the link. But uh, I just want to say thank you for sharing your story. And if there's anything before we go um, that you'd like to mentioned to someone about um about themselves if they're going through struggles or trials um what you might give as a word of encouragement you know i went through a lot of trials in my life and yeah. just because i met jesus doesn't mean they stopped right good point but i always knew god was with me i wasn't a hundred percent certain before i died after i died i knew jesus was with me i knew he was with me every step of the way and that no matter what happened, and this is one of the things he told me, um, your life is in good hands, which is a test of faith because it took me a while to figure out what he meant. What he meant was good, bad, indifferent. I'm here. Your life is in good hands. Mm -hmm. So it helps me get through bad things. It helps me appreciate good things. Right. I appreciate every single day. I don't live too much in the future. I don't dwell on the past. Right. Right. I'm. I live in the present because he's here. Yes. It took me. So, yeah. More than four decades to get to to Jesus to understand that he was always there, waiting for me to to come to him and recognize him. Um, and now 
you know, sometimes we, I joke with my friends and we say, how can people live without God? But I know very well how I did before. And I mean, I was completely a destructive mess. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have admitted it then, but, uh, I was, you know, living my life in destructive ways. And, um, like, and I, we said, I thought it was fine. You probably yeah, thought I, I didn't see fine. that. I didn't, th I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. I mean, I had some conscience issues every once in a while, but I just, you know, wrote it off and, ju and, and, um, justified it. But, but we sometimes say, how can people live without God? And I, and I, I can't imagine my life without him now. Um, incredible so i just want to say thank you for for opening up and being so transparent and sharing your story here so um thank you so much heidi bar for being here and uh um, you're welcome really appreciate you and uh may may god continue to bless you thank you